Amen. Thank you so much. Kim and Madeline, thank you so much. A great question. Great question. Thank you so much. Let's just all kind of settle in here. If you've got a Bible, I want you just to take it and hold it for a moment and realize what a wonderful gift the Word of God actually is. You know, in ages past, people didn't have their own copy of the Bible. There was a time when it was illegal for folks to have a Bible unless they were approved by, licensed, or a part of a state church. And so it's a very wonderful privilege to have our own Bible. Some of you, as I do, have many Bibles in your home or in your office. And so it is an honor that sometimes we, um, we overlook the value of this book and what it means to us. But I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And if you agree with that, say with me, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Now, I go a little further than that. There are some people who say they think it becomes the Word of God or it, it, you know, it, it, uh, it contains the Word of God, but I believe it is the Word of God. And so if you believe it is the Word of God, say, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Okay, and then, and then also, I believe it has no mistakes in it. Yeah, you can say that. I believe, come on, I believe it has no mistakes in it. How about this? And, and God helping me, say this, and God helping me, I'm going to try to obey it. Amen. Now, it falls to me as pastor, as a shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd under Jesus. He's the great shepherd. It falls to me the high, holy, and awesome privilege and responsibility of presenting eternal, unchanging truth from this book in a way that you can take it, assimilate it, and apply it to your life. So everybody here needs to get this book. I need to get it into my life. We need to get this book into our life. Because it doesn't do any good just to say, I believe it, unless we live it, and we need to behave it. I'm so glad for a God who enables us, because if He didn't enable me, I sure wouldn't come close to any of this. But by His grace and for His glory, we can. We can learn it. We can love it. We can live it. Amen? Amen. Amen. I have many books in my library, and among many books, I have many books by Oliver B. Green. And um, the, the front of this book by Oliver B. B. Green says, In these days of confusion, now that would have been, let's see, 1968 he put this out. In these days of confusion and uncertainty, when many have departed from the faith once delivered to the saints, and much error is being taught in the name of religion, quotes around religion, the Lord has laid it on my heart to incorporate in brief outline, and I, I'm amazed, the fundamental truth set forth in God's infallible Word as concerning the Holy Trinity and man's relationship to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Brief. This is 622 pages, William. There wasn't anything brief about it. It's glorious truth, though. And in this book, he summarizes <clears throat> some things that are in the Bible. Truth concerning God, truth concerning Christ, truth concerning the death of Jesus Christ, truth concerning the bodily resurrection of Jesus, truth concerning Christ's ascension and exaltation, truth concerning Christ's second coming, amen, I still believe it and preach it, truth concerning the Holy Spirit who indwells us and fills us and guides us into all truth, Bible truth concerning man, <clears throat> and this is... This is a balanced approach. Now, I'm, I'm not giving you a book review. I'm just saying, <clears throat> when we study the truth, you have to study it from a balanced perspective. 
We presuppose that there is a God and He's the God of the Bible described herein. We presuppose that the Bible is true. Now, it's never been disproved, but we, we presuppose that. And if you start out that way, you do much better than if you struggle and scratch and try to come up with a lot of reasons. But really, if you start with a presupposition, <clears throat> I'm a presuppositional theologian. It's a mouthful, but it just means I, I believe the Bible. You've got to take what it says about God and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, and you've got to take the truth that, that I, as a man, as a human being, a member of mankind, I am flawed by sin, and I need a Savior. I'm dependent. I need, I have a divine need. I have a need for God. So does everybody in this room. Now, <clears throat> that realization is going to get you to a place where you'll have to confront religions, philosophies, creeds, different churches of different stripes, and everybody's trying to get you in their doors. Now, there are a few that aren't trying so hard, but they're trying to get you in their doors, and they'll do so because they've got the best carpet. We got the best carpet. Uh, they got the best choir. We got the best choir uh, because they got the best this, that, or whatever. And um, you're still working on the preacher, but I mean, we got the best everything else. So thank you for laughing at that. I appreciate that. People trying to get you in the door. And most people will select a church because they feel at home. Wouldn't you agree? Without examining the doctrinal position and the application or even the, the shades of, of, of how they apply it, because every church has got a little different style, haven't they? How many of you have been in more than one church in life? Yeah, every church got a little different style. I've been to churches. They, I mean, they say right on, we are the cowboy church, and I'm all for cowboys. And if you root for the cowboys, I'm okay with you too, even though everybody else here isn't okay with you. But you're, you're safe as long as I'm here. All right, you're safe. Where are all the Redskins fans? Raise your hands. Redskins fans. All right, see, you cowboys see. All right, okay. But... Um, People, people will try to present themselves, and if they present themselves accurately, the one thing they want to do is try to attract people that are alike, people that are like they are. Now, our church is a patchwork quilt. Look around. We're a patchwork quilt. We, we are the United Nations of Independent Baptist Churches. Amen. We got everybody. Amen. 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 Nobody else is better than anybody else. Can I get an amen on that? In fact, we're all pretty bad, you know. <laughs> we need God. I don't mean to insult you. I'm sorry. I'm just having way too much fun, more than a person ought to have. But um, I'm glad I've got a God who is colorblind. I'm glad I've got a God who loves me, not for the color of my skin or for how much money I make or how much education I've got. He loves me because he chooses to love me. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we have churches that promote different things. And sometimes you get in there and you find out, hey, we really like the church. We like the, you know, the potluck dinners and we like the program for the kids and we like all the stuff that we were doing, all the different activities and so on and so forth. But then we found out, you know, that thing about human sacrifice. I didn't go along with that. Or, you know, some horrible, terrible thing. And, and there are cults out there. You have to beware. And there are churches that are not cults, but they're cultic and how they force you against your will. And I don't want to be part of anything where I'm forced against my will. And then there are those churches that are different by gradation, by shade, one from another. 
We're, we're unapologetic that we, we believe the Bible from cover to cover. We're literalists. We're fundamentalists. And we believe that everybody needs to be saved. And we want to lovingly win them to Christ. That's our emphasis. And after they get here, we want them to grow in grace. But if you're not careful, you'll get swept into something. Erwin Lutzer wrote a book, When a Nation Forgets God, Seven Lessons We Must Learn from Nazi Germany. And here's what he says in chapter 1, right out the gate. Listen up. Hitler did not discourage people from attending church. Wow. He was a baptized Catholic who had long since abandoned his faith, but he did not mind if others continued to attend church as long as it did not affect the way they lived or the values they held. Can you mark that down mentally? Hitler didn't care if they went to church as long as it didn't affect the way they lived. What is it? If it doesn't totally, if Jesus Christ doesn't come into your heart and life and totally change you, what good is religion? All right. In fact, he explicitly said that he would not interfere with the specific doctrines of the church just as long as the churches were teaching those things that were in harmony with the, quote, good of the German people. He called this positive Christianity. Why, folks, you don't have to go too far. You can go right on the television and you can see three or four guys. And, you know, they'll smile till the cows come home and they'll, they'll teach positive Christianity, but they won't tell you the truth. When we go out of here today, we want to have a good old-fashioned dose of the truth. Nothing short of that. Nothing short of that. So on the front of your bulletin today, we have a picture, somebody's rendition, their idea of what it must have looked like when the Philippian jailer came running in after the earthquake and saw that even though the earthquake had loosed Paul, Silas, and the rest of the prisoners from their bonds, they hadn't run away. Wow. Wow. And look where he is. He's on his knees in front of two guys with bloody beaten backs. And that is a picture exactly that we need to see ourselves in. You say, how is that? You're either the two guys standing there with bloody backs, and that includes everybody here, guys and gals, beaten for no other reason than being a believer in Jesus Christ. Or you could be that Philippian jailer on his knees. But you're in that picture somewhere today. And what we want you to understand is that God loves you more than I can tell you, more than I have the ability to share with you. I'm a fairly educated individual, but what I have heard in the way of some supposed religion causes me to shudder when people say, what you need to do is this. The question is, what must I do to be saved? Which is a natural reaction. Would you turn with me, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas and their entourage has come through some cities and they have traveled into Macedonia to a place called Philippi. Philippi was named after Philip, a former king who was the father of Alexander the Great. 
It was a Roman outpost. It was a strong place in the Roman Empire. It was a place where no foolishness was ever countenanced. If you broke the law, you ended up in jail. If you violated specific statutes, you'd pay the price. Paul and Silas found some people, some, some business people, business women, unusual but happening in that day, a seller of purple by the name of Lydia. And she was making some money because the seller of purple had the corner on the market of purple dye in those days. It was expensive to extract, it was expensive to buy, and she was doing okay. But there weren't enough, enough men in her group for them to afford to have a place. So they went down by the river to try to worship God. And guess what? Paul had the truth. If there's a missing piece in your value system, it's the vital centerpiece, and that is Jesus Christ. There are some people today who would like to have the framework of Christianity. It all began toward the end of the so-called Age of Enlightenment in the late 1700s through the 1800s, and people who were in religious circles and seminaries and philosophers began to, began to uh, eat away like termites at the innards of Christianity. If you take Jesus Christ out of Christendom, you have a structure of morality, but you don't have the guts of it. You don't have the main thing. Without Jesus, you won't make heaven. Without Jesus, your moral standards won't continue to stand. This nation was founded by people who believed this book. They believed that there is a God. He's the God of the Bible. They believed the truths of the Word of God. And because they had that personal faith, or at least a respect for the God of the Bible, our nation was thus founded. <clears throat> now, I am well aware of the fact that this is a pluralistic society. If, uh, if you work in the soul winning booth at the fair, you'll find out every kind of religion comes by. And we sit down and there was one fellow that came back. He wanted to argue with me. I didn't want to argue with him. I said, you believe, you happen to believe that uh, what you are saying about Muhammad is ab absolutely factual and all I've given you is a piece of literature by Tony Garib that says what the Quran says. And I've, I've studied the Quran and I know the Hajj and I know the five uh, things that are necessary for you to attain what you think is heaven. I understand that. And what's written here is what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. And that's it. There's two prophets. And he wanted to, to argue with me, not hostile, but he wanted to argue. And I said, we're not going to argue. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about Jesus. That's our discussion. We're talking about Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? That's it. That's the bottom line. What will you do with him? And so, I've seen enough different religions around that I understand without Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Those ladies got saved, and then... Uh, a demon-possessed girl, a fortune teller, started following Paul and Silas and crying out and was causing a ruckus, and he cast out the demon. And, of course, she could no longer do her demonic work and made no more money for her handlers, and so they had 
Paul and Silas thrown into jail. There was no trial. There was, there was nothing. They were beaten and thrown into jail. Not realizing that Paul was a Roman citizen. Free, I mean, he was a freeborn Roman citizen. You can't beat a freeborn Roman citizen without a trial and throw him into jail. So they had done wrong. So there, Paul and Silas are in the jail. And it says right here in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas were very much 21st century. It says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas complained and worried about what was going to happen to them and griped to anybody who would listen. No, excuse, oh, I'm sorry, that's the other version. No, the, the Bible says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas, what? Say it, prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. This was not put on. It came from the heart. Years ago, I was sitting in a dental chair. And I was being prepped by the dental person for some work that was going to be done. It happened to be a female, and she started singing. And she realized she was singing. She said, oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Like, you know, I heard something offensive. And I said, no, it's all right. I said, if it's in your heart, you got to let it out. And so they were praying. They were praising. And the people, the prisoners heard them. Why? Because it was in their heart and it had to come out. If you've been saved, it's got to come out. There was a woman at the well that Jesus sat down with in John chapter 4. And when he got done speaking to her about living water, the Bible says she left her water pot and she went into the city and said, Come see a man. Come, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She couldn't keep quiet. She'd experienced the presence and the power and the transformation of knowing Jesus Christ. And so here we have a case of Paul and Silas being a testimony even when things were going against them. I got my hand raised. How many of you have had some heartache, some disappointment, some challenges? Uh, say in the last month, raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. Jesus knows all about it. He understands you. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He's, he's saying, <clears throat> you don't want to haul that heavy iron yoke of the world, the flesh, and the devil around anymore. I've got a light yoke. And when you yoke up, you're yoking up with Jesus, and he goes with you wherever you go. And we learn of him that way. And that's what we want. That's what we desire. He'll go with us all the way and praise the Lord. And that's what puts a, a song in our heart, praise on our lips. That's it. And so they're singing and they're praising and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Boom, everyone's. No exceptions. There was a law in the Roman Empire that if a jailer, a prison keeper who was entrusted the keeping of prisoners, if he were to lose one of them, then he would suffer that fate. And so many, many jailers were careful. They didn't want to die. They didn't want to have to pay the price that their prisoners would have paid. 
And so he's worried. He's concerned about this, and rightly so. There is an earthquake. Now you say, praise the Lord, there's an earthquake. Now if you're just sitting here today, like we did in California on numerous occasions, and everything starts rocking and reeling, I might moving back and forth. It's a very unsettling feeling. It's a really unsettling feeling if you're on an overpass, or on a bridge, or you're up in a stadium somewhere. They found that out in Oakland, didn't they? Yeah. All right. What I'm saying to you is an earthquake is not a pleasant experience. But there they are in the midst of an earthquake as if a prison isn't enough. If a beating isn't enough. Now they got an earthquake going on and the earthquake removes everyone's bands. And the keeper of the prison, waking, waking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. If they're all gone, <clears throat> he knew it'd be quicker if he did himself in. He had reached what we call clinical despair. He had reached the bottom of the depths of depression. He got there real quickly. We don't know what else was going on in his life, but losing all your prisoners meant that you would pay the price. And so he was going to dispatch himself and before he had a chance to do that, Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Good job, Paul. Good job. Then he, that's the jailer, called for a light. So it's all dusty. You know, the smoke is ascending. The place is a wreck. And he came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And brought them out and said, here we go, let's say it together. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now that's a natural reaction. It's a natural reaction. But salvation, salvation is not the result of my doing something. He asked, what must I do to be saved? Because that's a natural reaction. He's looking, he's saying, wow. He's saying, you guys didn't leave when you had a chance. I want what you've got. What do I have to do to get what you've got? And those people today who are thinking that salvation is a result of certain actions, joining a certain religion, being faithful to a specific creed, doing a certain number of good works, trying to obey the Ten Commandments or observing the Golden Rule, all of those things that are good in their place. It's good to do those. It's good to go to church. It's good to have a value system. It's good. It's good to try to treat your fellow man right. But none of those things are things that we do in order to be saved. Are you listening to me? If so, say amen. We don't do those things to get to heaven. You say, well... My mom, my dad, somebody who was, you know, my grandma, my aunt, my uncle. Somebody was a wonderful person. They did that all their life. And I know they're in heaven. If they're in heaven, listen to me carefully. Wonderful as they were in life. They were not in heaven because of what they did. The jailer says, what must I do to be saved? That's a natural reaction. But there are no actions that we do to save ourselves. Are you listening to me? No actions. 
not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Bible's clear. Why do religions have it wrong? So many religions say, this is what you do to get the door open, then you get in, then you keep on doing these things, and hopefully you maintain them until the end. And someday, when you get up there before God, He'll put your good works on one side and your bad works on the other. And if your good works outweigh your bad works over here, He'll say, come on into heaven. But if your bad works outweigh your good works, He'll say, I'm sorry, you've got to go to the other place, or you don't exist anymore, or whatever the religion teaches. There's only one thing wrong with this picture. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> Somebody was talking to me. Some of the people who come by the booth need a lovingly, uh, just a loving escort away from the booth. And so another fellow came and he was talking about judgment, judgment, judgment. The Bible teaches judgment. But I got him about 15 feet away and I said, Sir, there are five judgments taught in the Bible. And the big one that everybody should be concerned about is the judgment of our sin. And do you know where that judgment took place? Not at the end when we all stand before God, supposedly in a general judgment. The Bible does not teach one general judgment. I said, I'll tell you where it happened. It happened at an old rugged cross with a sweet savior, savior hanging on that cross and saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took your place. He took mine. He took the place of mankind. He died for our sins. We don't get to heaven by our good works outweighing our bad works. We get to heaven because our sin was judged at Calvary. Totally, completely, in full. You receive a free gift. What God has done for us that we cannot do for ourselves. So the man said, what must I do to be saved? That's a natural reaction. But we're not saved by actions. We're also not saved by subtraction. There are some people who say, <clears throat> this week I didn't do anything bad. Watch out. Get away from them. The lightning's going to strike. I didn't do a single thing bad. You just did, man. When you said that, you're in trouble. But they think they're going to get to heaven by subtraction. Because they don't do this. There's that old thing. Now, nobody here, don't, I'm not telling you you're going to hell if you do these things. The old thing goes, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with them that do. How many of you ever heard that down the country? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, whatever intentions may have been behind that, that doesn't get you to heaven. Subtraction doesn't get you to heaven. Actions don't get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is a transaction. A divine transaction. When God saved my soul. When God saves your soul. And he does it on the basis of... Now, see those brass crosses back there? The old rugged cross was not brass. It was very rough. But that's ornate. All right? So, the man on the middle cross, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he finished the work that God sent him to do. He took the sins. He doesn't ever have to go back there again. We don't have to 
excuse me for saying this. Jesus doesn't have to die again and again and again and again. We don't have to kill Jesus over and over and over and over. He died once. Once for all. That was enough. Because He's the God-man. He's God in a body. He's, he's the Son of God and God the Son. And He died on the cross for you and me. He took all of our sin. So salvation, we, we think about a person getting saved and we think, oh, what a wonderful change. We used to sing in Bible college, there's been a great change since I've been born again. There's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born. There's been a great change since I've been born again. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. The people I used to know, I don't know them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. All right, people think about change. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. But when we think about the change, that's what comes as a result of what God does. What God does is not just a change, it's an exchange. I bring my old rags as a sinner beggar to God and He gives me a robe of righteousness. I bring my old life and I give it to Him and He gives me a brand new life, fresh one, clean, brand new. I bring everything that's old and worn out and representing the old life, I bring it to Him and He gives me a new life. Praise God. He gives me a new identity. I've got a new family. All things become new. Praise God for that. Salvation is a transaction that is an exchange whereby we'll see some changes. We'll see some things that come along later on. What did they say to Him? Now, they didn't have an argument with Him. All you... Workers at the fair, he didn't have a debate. They said, here it is. What's the first word? Be, leave. Say, believe. Believe. You say, I believe. What do you believe? Who do you believe? On what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What? The Jesus Christ of the Bible. Who he was. What he does. That's it. Not the Jesus Christ of your imagination. Not the Jesus Christ that you made up. I've been in conversations with people about the Lord and they'll say, well, God wouldn't do that. And I say, how do you know that? Oh, I just know that. This is not make it up as you go along. You might have, <clears throat> that might work out on the sandlot or, or out on the basketball court someplace where you're playing and you're moving the sidelines and you're changing the rules and do over and all this kind of stuff as a kid. But when it comes to something as important as your immortal soul, we don't make up the rules and change them as we're going along. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He's the same. Praise God for that. The Philippian jailer didn't know what to do to end up like those guys, but he knew what those guys had he wanted. The Philippian jailer <clears throat> didn't do like so many 21st century people do now. You know, they get a sign and they hang onto the sign. They want to they put a shrine around the sign. They want to they immortalize the sign. You know, the earthquake comes. And so now they're going to start the earthquake church. I'm not kidding you. If it had been the 21st century, they'd have been meeting in a storefront. And in about uh, 24 months, they would have a church built up out on Holdley Road called the earthquake church. And that would have been their sign. They're waiting for the next earthquake to come. He didn't look to the earthquake. He came in and said, you guys, your life is so different. I got to have what you've got. And so the earthquake brought him to despair. It didn't bring him to Christ, brought him to despair. The despair left him with nothing. He was now 
without anything. He needed what they have, and they have Jesus, and they shared Jesus. And that's what we do. There's all kinds of people in depression and despair all around us. What do they need? They all need Jesus, every single one of them. These two believers have a chance to say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And thy work for your house, too. Work for your household. And so what, what happened? They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Obviously, they got saved. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. There you have it. There's, there's the effect. There's the end result. In the sword of the Lord... They've reprinted a message by John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a Baptist preacher in the 1600s. Fellow sinner, hast thou not heard of the necessity of coming to Christ and of the willingness of Christ to receive thee? Hast thou not heard of the end of all those who come not and of the blessing that they ha shall have who indeed do come? Put thyself now upon this serious inquiry. Have I indeed come to Jesus Christ? John Bunyan. Three centuries plus ago is asking you the question, have you come to Christ? Don't tell me what you've joined. Don't tell me what you do. Have you come to Christ? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. All those other things are good in their place, but they will not save your soul. There will be a transformation. I'm holding in my hands the journal of Jim Elliot, the missionary who along with four others gave his life in 1955, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Nate Saint, Roger Udarian, and Jim Elliot on a beach in South America were speared to death by the Aka Indians, many of whom later came to Christ and became preachers of the gospel. Think about it. The story is well known. But here's what I want to share with you. And that is, the people like that, as they progress in the Christian life, realize that there are things a lot worse than dying. Are you listening to me? Now, when we begin, when we start this journey, a lot of people will come to God through Christ because they want to be happy. A lot of people will come to God through Christ because they want to stop being miserable. A lot of people come to God through Christ because they don't want to put up with, you know, whatever's in their life and they want some relief. And, and I understand that. There are many, many reasons why, why people have for coming to God. But now as we progress on this journey, dear ones, listen to me. We become aware of the seriousness, the sobriety of the journey. And the fact is that between now and when God takes us, whenever that is, maybe at a ripe old age like my mom, 102, she's still living in church today, or maybe, maybe a young life like these missionaries. But sometime between when we receive Christ and when we leave this world, we're able to display something that this world, the flesh and the devil can't take from us, and that is life. While we're here in the body, we can show people what the true meaning of life is. Scientists, philosophers, writers have all sought to put on paper what is the meaning of life. Well, the meaning of life is a person, Jesus Christ. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundant. We've seen that. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. From the time you receive him 
and settle that until the time God takes you home, whenever that is. We get to show everybody else that it works. That's what these guys were doing. They were showing by their life that it really works. That transaction results in a transformation. This really works. When I share this little track that God gave us, and we get to share with other people, this is how you can know you're going to heaven. But that's the starting line. The finishing line between now and the finishing line, when we go to be with the Lord, we have the privilege to live for Him. Not occasionally, not on Sundays, but 24-7. He wants all of me. He wants all of you. Are you willing to lay it all on the altar of consecration? Say, Lord, you've got me. From the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, you've got me. Now, if you've never been saved, you, you, you can't do that until you come to God through Christ. And I'm going to show you how you can simply pray and know for sure that heaven is your home. According to the Bible, these things have I written unto you that believe that you may know, that you can, O-W, that you have eternal life. You can know right now, this can be your day. This is August the 11th, 2019. And at a few minutes after noon, you can come to know Jesus Christ and mark it down. That's the beginning of life. If you've already been saved, next step is to identify with Jesus Christ with believer's scriptural baptism. I want to encourage you to come down the aisle and say to me, I need to do that, that next step. I need to follow the Lord. Need to come join, be a part of the church, work, serve God, be part of what's going on here. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Who do you know? Who lives under your roof? Who do you know that's close to your heart that isn't saved or isn't right with God? That's a project. That's a wonderful joy of helping them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in his fullness. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Nobody's looking. How many of you today would say, Preacher, something that you said in the message struck a chord with me and spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Thank you. Put your hands down. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come to the front. Now, it may be that you're saved, baptized, already a member of this church, and you would come down here and have a word of prayer because God spoke to your heart about something in your life or in the life of somebody else, something you need to pray about, something you're concerned about, and you can come and pray all by yourself, just you and the Lord, and then go back to your seat. That'll be all right. If you want someone to pray with you, just come to me and say, I need someone to pray with me. We'll have someone do that. But it may be that you are here today as an individual who is not yet saved or is not yet scripturally baptized or is not yet a member, in which case I want you to come see me. But I want to help you that are not sure you're saved right now, right where you're seated, because I understand where you're at. I understand that without Jesus Christ in your life, there's no way to heaven. And you're in a state of perhaps some depression or despair because without him, there's no hope. And so I want to give you some hope through Christ. Would you pray from your heart right now? First the bad news, then the good news. The bad news is we're all sinners. We're lost. We're going to pay a price for our sin. But Jesus paid that price in full. And if you'll receive him, God will mark that on his account. And before God, you will be justified. And God will look at you like he looks at Jesus Christ. So would you pray right now? Pray silently from your heart to God and mean this. Dear God, just pray from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. 
I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior, as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die and take me to heaven when I die. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up so I can see it right now? Come on, raise your hand up. God bless you, sir. Amen. You may put your hand down. I just prayed that prayer and I meant it. Put your hand up and put it down. Put it up and put it down. How many of you today would say, Preacher, I've already done that. I've already asked Jesus in my life. Put your hand up if you're not ashamed. I've already done that. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Put your hands down. If you desire baptism or membership, you want to come and let me know.